And for the rest of us, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this evening, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to begin to read at verse 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 this evening. Uh, And we really want to think about, we're thinking about sexual purity and purity in general. And as we do that, we want to think think about it through this lens. What does it mean to follow Jesus when it comes to sex? What does it mean to follow Jesus whenever it comes to sex? Now, if that word makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, you may get used to it because we're going to say it a lot this evening. And it's a good thing to be able to talk about these issues in church, okay? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. This is God's word to us this evening. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself to the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us. Let us just bow for a moment as we come to God's word here this evening and ask for his help. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is clear to us. Father, we thank you that you've revealed your heart to us. And we ask now, as we look at this, Father, that you would help us. For those here this evening who are broken and heavy laden and who have shame and guilt, Father, we pray that your spirit would work powerfully. Father, lift our eyes to Jesus this evening, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So how can I be a disciple whenever it comes to sex? And as we approach this subject of sexual purity, it is not my aim here this evening to make anyone feel uncomfortable but rather to start a conversation from a biblical perspective. We want to state that we have all fallen short, that we are all sinners in this regard. And I am aware that for most of us here this evening, sexual sin is a difficult topic to talk about. And for many, it can bring shame and guilt. It can bring deep pain to the surface again. But this evening, that is not my aim. Instead, in a world that is often motivated with sex and the desire to find fulfillment in it, it leaves many lives broken, empty, and feeling worthless. And we want to communicate here this evening a better way, the way that God directs us in his word that he lays out for us. And Nigel started the conversation this morning as we looked at the seventh commandment 
and about marriage. And this evening, we're going to think about purity. How does it relate to us as we think about purity? So here's the overview of where we're going to go this evening. We're going to think about being united to Christ, first of all. Theologically, what is going on with our bodies? And why is that important? Then we want to think, how can we live for Christ? And we're going to work through that and some of the practical outflowings of it. And then lastly, we're going to think about running back to Christ, how he died to save us from our sin. So first of all, we're going to think about the topic and the doctrine of being united to Christ. And I asked Nigel, would it be okay to use some Tupperware boxes to describe this this evening? And he, he said it would be more than fine. So <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean to be united to Christ? Okay, this, this can be difficult for us, but I think it's really important for us because here this evening, this is Paul's logic. Paul's logic in 1 Corinthians starts, if, if you flip over just a few pages, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, he talks about how we are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Okay. We are in Christ Jesus. Then in chapter 6, verse 11, we're just before our reading started, that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Paul's logic here, he's trying to really force this idea, this, this doctrine that we are united to Christ. And whenever it comes to purity and sexual purity, he says to us that the doctrine of being united to Christ is vastly important, not just in a spiritual sense, but also in a physical sense. This doctrine has great implications for us. So, Tupperware time, okay? This is us, right? So, inside this first Tupperware box, you will see two other Tupperware boxes, okay? So, what I want to show us is that we are all born into sin, right? That's all of us. We're all born into sin. This is us, okay? And then inside of us, is sin, okay? So, we're born in sin, and then inside of us, we have sin, okay? So, sin inside of us, us inside of sin. That is who we are. That's our identity. Whenever we are born onto this earth, that is who we are. Now, what happens whenever we are converted, whenever God, by His grace, comes to us? Well, He changes all of our identity. So, no longer do we have sin inside of us, but instead, we have the Holy Spirit, okay? So, the Holy Spirit is in us, the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, that's, let me get the right lid, <laughs> that's us. Now, our identity has been changed, okay? So, we have now the Holy Spirit inside of us, and then He transports us, not in sin any longer, but to be in Christ, right? So, now we are transformed, we are changed, our identity has changed. We are found in Christ, okay? That is secure. It will not change. And then where is Christ to be found? Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 tells us that Christ is found in God, okay? So now we're in God, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is what it means to be united to Christ. Our identity has changed. We are hid in God, in Jesus, with the Holy Spirit inside of us, Okay? Everybody's with me, hopefully, so far with our Tupperware demonstration. Okay, so this is who we are. We are in God. We are changed. 
And then Paul starts to explain for this that this changes everything. We are united to him. We cannot escape this as Christians. We are locked into this relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing we can do can change this. We, can, we cannot escape this. There's no sin that we can commit that will change this. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. So then, we'll work through this really quickly, the logic here of what Paul's trying to get at. So, end of verse 12, just because something is legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually good. So it may be legal in this world, but that doesn't mean it's spiritually good is his first point. And since the Lord honors you by having gave you a body, you honor the Lord, right? He's gave you your body. There's air in your lungs. It's his gift. So therefore you should honor him. Verse 14, God raised Jesus, so you will also rise. Your body is important. This body that you inhabit will be changed, but it will be still your body. The body has significance. Verse 15, you're members of Christ's body. So you're not just isolated, but you're members. You're united to Christ. So if you go to a prostitute, you take Christ with you. Verse 16, there is much more to sex than skin-on-skin connection. It is a deep spiritual mystery and it is a physical fact. So verses 17 and 18, if we're joined to Jesus, then we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy and leaving us more lonely than ever. Sexual sins, Paul goes on to say here, are different than others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our bodies. These bodies were made for God. God gave us them. So we honor him with our bodies. We can't live in whatever way we please. Why? Paul says, because God paid the highest price to purchase your body and soul. We're made up of two parts, to purchase our body and soul. And therefore, with our whole bodies, we should aim to please God. It is God who rules over our bodies. It is King Jesus who has the say over our bodies as disciples, and not us. So we're united to Christ. We're washed. We're bought back. You are body and soul, and because Christ is in you and you're in Christ, you cannot do as you please. Your body has eternal value. You must honor the Lord with your body. Where you go, he goes. So your body is owned by him. He is the king, so you live your life to bring glory to him. Now note, this is the total opposite narrative than what the world wants to tell us. The world wants to say to us, you're the master of your own soul and body. You can do what you like with your body. No one has the right over your frame. What does it look like? Your gender, you decide. Your ethnicity, you decide. Your biological sex, you decide. When do you want to die? You decide. If there's a baby inside you that you do not want, Will you get the decision over that? Here's a statistic released this week. 140 women in the UK during 2018 had their eighth abortion. 140 women had their eighth abortion. Five teenage women, five teenagers, five teenage women were among hundreds in 2018 who had their sixth abortion. 
that you can do what you want. You can treat sex whatever way you want. You can have casual sex. If you want to have sex, then you can have it. If you want to pay for sex, then pay for it. If you want to sleep around, you can do that. If you want to cheat or have an affair, no one has the right to tell you that you're wrong. If you want to watch pornography, you can do that. It is your body. You have the right to do with it as you please. And that this evening is not what Scripture says. This is not what God tells us. It's not what Jesus tells us. See, here we have God's revealed heart in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 through Paul, verses 12 through to verse 20. And it's so important that we are valued body and soul. Our bodies are of great importance, and what we do with them are, uh, is of huge importance. So in practical terms, in the practical areas that we want to address tonight, we've got to understand that it will be rejected by the world. The world will not like what we have to say. But here's the thing. What is going on in the world, the narrative that the world follows, that you can do whatever you want, that you can, that you can be with whoever you want to be with, you, you can do whatever you want with your body, it's not working. It's broken. Many lives devastated, self-worth gone, much mental baggage, scars and wounds abound. As casual sex is promoted, so too is abortion as it's carried out on demand, and it leaves people with guilt and shame, with regret, with lost hopes, with broken dreams, and with, and with much heartbreak. And people are looking for a better message. And we have it here this evening. So God created us. God created us with a good sexual desire in the Garden of Eden. It was good. A desire for companionship, a desire to be fruitful and multiply, a natural attraction between male and female, and it was good. Adam enjoyed and Eve enjoyed the Sabbath, the first day in the garden, their, their time, their first Sabbath in the garden. What was it? It was their honeymoon period. It was a beautiful time. And then sin came and corrupted what was good. So once, what was once good and perfect, once, what was once intimate and binding, a physical and a spiritual union, a gift to one another, a joining of two people before God, a union in Eden that would bring forth life, that would bring forth beauty, a marriage, an image of Christ and his bride, the church, was destroyed with sin. So just before we leave this point, we have to know that we are united to Christ. If we are Christian people here, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and that is huge importance both for your soul, but also for your body, because you will be stuck with this body for all eternity. Whenever it is made right and perfect, it'll look something, I assume, like what you look like now, okay? So you have it, right? And it's vastly important to Jesus, vastly important to God. Now, here's how this works out. Pete shared this illustration with me uh, from Glenn uh, Shrivener was using this illustration. Uh, Glenn said that a friend of his once committed adultery. And he said, Glenn, I find it so hard to sing that song, uh, Majesty, in royal robes I don't deserve. He said, I can't sing that. I'm unworthy to sing that. This guy was a Christian and he committed adultery. He said, look, I can't, I can't sing that. can't sing them words. And Glenn said to him, friend, you didn't take Christ off whenever you committed adultery. You didn't leave him at the door of the room. 
but rather you carried Christ with you. You were still dressed in your royal robes that Christ had presented to you. You were dressed in his righteousness at the moment that you committed adultery. And his friend said then, that's 100 times worse, Glenn. And Glenn said, yes, it may be so, but it's also 1,000 times better. He was still united to Christ. He was still a child of God's in that moment. United to Christ, right? How do we live for Christ? How do, how do, we, how do we work this out? Some practical outflowings of this. How, do, how does it look for us in, in today, day-to-day life? Well, as Christians, our responsibility is to work through this doctrine and what it means for us. And when we are united to Christ, we are told in various places in Scripture to flee from sexual immorality. So then it should be our desire to be pure. Pure because God wants us to live as pure, holy, and obedient children. He has told us that we are to express our sexual desires inside marriage and marriage alone because it is the right and good and safe place where husband and wife, male and female, enjoy the coming together of one flesh in love. They make a commitment to one another. They give one another not only their words but their whole body, an act that is to match their words. And they give themselves exclusively to one another. And they become the only legitimate sexual partner for each other. So sexual purity inside of marriage means sex is not abusive. Sex is about the other person. It is not a selfish commodity. And it is not to be used like a bargaining chip. It is not to be withheld or given like pocket money. In marriage, a healthy sex life is crucial So couples, fight for intimacy with your husband or wife. Take time to spend time with one another. This is good. It is right. And a healthy sex life protects you against wandering eyes. But what about sexual purity outside of marriage? For those of us who are here this evening who are not yet married, well, if you're dating, if you're single, if you have younger people, or as a church family, this is really important for us to understand how do we be sexually pure? And we want to come to the first issue of pornography. Here's the statistics, right? These will shock you. The statistics around pornography, 70% of men and 30% of women watch porn. Now, note this. Netflix, in one month, got 46 million viewers. Amazon, 110 million. Twitter, 160 million. Porn sites, get more than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined with 450 million viewers in one month. HR professionals have said that two two out of every three work computers have been found to have accessed pornography. So we live in a porn-saturated world. Within three clicks on the internet, we can have access to it. So let's make it really clear. Pornography is wrong. It doesn't matter if you're 15 or 50. If you're married or single, it is wrong. It is sinful. It should not be consumed. It destroys many relationships and creates false expectations. And it is so strong that it quickly can become addictive. So friends, if we're struggling here this evening with pornography, stop taking your phone to the bedroom. Stop trying to get alone time with you on a screen. Stop deleting your internet history as if it's okay. 
brother or sister, you need to hear these words. Stop. Stop justifying it. Stop accommodating it. And if you can't do this alone, please speak to someone in the church. Speak to a brother or a sister in the Lord. Get them to help you with this brother on brother, sister on sister. Draw alongside people. Sexual purity then, what we consume is really, really important. What do we consume? How are we affected by it? Because we're all affected by the things that we watch, by the things that we listen to. So what about the programs that we watch? Are they heavy with sex content? What do we watch, let our young people watch? Do we let them watch Love Island, a show that works on the premise of that we only date the best-looking person that we can, and if somebody better walks into the villa, then we go for them, that we can go with each other for a week and then drop each other, that we treat each other like a commodity. So we're either shaped by Scripture or we're shaped by our surroundings, so we've got to be careful about what we consume. Then dating well. Young men, we often need to be told that when we are dating, that we should not try to push things as far sexually as we can. And we should not ask that question, how far can we go? Rather, we should be self-controlled and we should wait. And the best question to ask is, how can I most honor and help to lead this relationship into righteousness so that we both can grow in our love for Jesus? That means we're careful and we're wise with our levels of intimacy Is it good to have a date that involves just Netflix and chill in which you lie in a bed or lie on a sofa together? Is it good for a young young unmarried couple to go on holidays together? No, it's not wise. Mom and dad, I promise that we are in separate beds. Really? And what about the fable that if it isn't sexual intercourse, then everything else is fine? Well, it simply isn't. You have to respect each other's body. And the truth is that you cannot bring sexual pleasure to another person at any level until you're married. And Satan will use the same tactic as he used in the garden. What did he do with Eve? Genesis 3, 6. The woman saw this. She saw the fruit. And it was a delight to the eyes. And it was to be desired. So single people here this evening, young men, young women, whatever age you are in this, please be self-controlled. Learn to lead well. Help each other. Sister, help your brother. Brother, help your sister. Don't tempt each other. Sexual relations are reserved for marriage, so do not take that away from someone. As Christians, if we date, we should never leave someone having taken something away from them. They should never be less. They should have grown in their Christ-likeness. It's a little like this. Use this illustration. If you imagine that we are like a page whenever we begin, and then we meet someone, and we do something with them sexually, we tear a little bit off our page. And perhaps then we go on and we do something else with somebody else a little further down the line, we tear another bit off our page, and then we come to someone else, and by this stage we're only 17, and then we give somebody else something else, and then we go to university, and sexually we start to become really active, and we give somebody else a big part of our lives, so that a huge chunk of our page is taken away from us, and maybe that doesn't work out. So actually, you take another partner, and you give them something, and what happens over time is that your page gets smaller and smaller. So on the day that you come to marry someone, you maybe have only half a page left to give them, if you have half a page. Every time, taking something away 
from yourself. What does Jesus say? Your body is vastly important. Respect your body. Keep it for marriage. Then we've got to say this. We are all vulnerable. Watch out unless any, in case any of us should fall. I think that in our world and in the social circles that we keep, this is one of the biggest tactics of the enemy, and he uses it to wreak devastation. It crumbles people, it destroys lives, and it shovels huge guilt upon us. Sexual sin. And why is that? Because often we don't talk about it. It's maybe acceptable to talk about it at a youth meeting. It's become more acceptable. But in church, we are deadly silent on this. Here's what Jesse Ryle says. The breach of the seventh commandment is the sin above all others. Hosea says, it takes away our heart. It is the sin that leaves deeper scars upon the soul than any sin that a man can commit. It is the sin that slays its thousands in every age and has overthrown not a few of the saints of God in the past time. It is the sin that man dares to smile at and smooths over under names that will not give it its full proper place. Unsteadiness, wildness, irregularity. But it is the sin that the devil peculiarly rejoices over. We must watch. We must flee from sexual immorality all of us, married and single here this evening, flee from sexual immorality. That's what Paul says here in verse 18, and we know it from Scripture, flee it. So why, why are we doing different things to play with it? Why do we smile at it? Why do we try and, dis- and dismiss it under other names? Why, why do we use Snapchat? If you're using Snapchat, why do we use it to be suggestive? Why are you texting that married person? Why are you having that conversation with somebody late at night that you know is not helpful? Why are you searching the sites that you search? Why are you looking at the person that you always look at in work? Why are you always trying to chat and flirt with the person who is in a relationship? Why are you letting your imagination run away to the places that it shouldn't about people? Why are you consumed with sexual desire? Do you feed it this evening? Listen, what what does the Scripture say to us? It says, crucify it. Kill it. Run from it. Starve it. Strangle it. Don't let it have any air to breathe. Flee from it. And in this, we need to be accountable. Get someone who you trust, who is a Christian, and get alongside them and ask them to help you and to pray with you, to meet with you. So as we draw our close, where do we go here? We're united to Christ. We're trying to live for Christ. We're trying to live for Jesus. Well, many of us have made a mistake. Many of us have messed up in this area. In fact, all of us, Jesus would tell us, in our hearts have committed adultery. We have lusted over someone. So what can we do this evening? Well, all that we can do is run to Jesus. This is how we sort out our mess, our sexual brokenness here this evening. We run to Jesus. So I know that if you're a young man in this room, and I'm saying that anybody under 40 is a young man, if you're a young man in this room and you're under the age of 40, it is almost a guaranteed certainty 
that you have watched pornography at some stage in your life. I know that there are people here tonight and sexual sin has threatened to destroy your marriage. I know that there will be people here this evening who have been victims of sexual abuse. I know there will be people who have watched sexual sin destroy their parents' relationships. I know that there will be people here who don't feel when we talk about sexual sin and purity that, that, that you don't feel that you're worthy. In fact, you feel dirty and as dirty as coal and you just wish that the sermon was over. I know that for some here tonight, you will feel like we have been picking an old scab and opening up an old wound. I know for some here tonight, purity will confront you. It will offend you, maybe even anger you because it confronts you in your sin. So for all who have messed up, for all who have been a victim, for all, for all who have fallen short and fallen into sin, for those who are bearing an incredible weight of sexual sin and shame, know this, that Satan is trying to use guilt. He's trying to use shame to strip you of who you are and your identity. He wants to rob you of who you are, and he wants to make you feel totally unworthy. And what does Jesus have to say to us this evening? Jesus wants to tell us that, no, you're united to me, that you're my son and that you're my daughter. I'm your elder brother. Your father in heaven has adopted you, that you have been justified by the blood of the cross, that you have been made pure, not because of your efforts, but because of my efforts. I am pure and spotless. Here are my clothes. And he gives them to us. What did Jesus say? He said, I didn't, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He says to us this evening that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He says that he didn't come to judge, but to save. He says that he has come into the world as the light, that whoever is in the darkness may not remain there. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And what does Jesus say? He says, I receive sinners, and I eat with them. Nigel talked briefly this morning about the woman at the well. The woman at the well had made a huge sexual disaster of her life. But Jesus welcomed her. Nigel mentioned the seventh perfect man. He met her at a place of engagement and he promised her something far better than sexual satisfaction and infinitely more fulfilling than any earthly relationship could provide. Jesus comes to sexual sinners and he comes and he takes our soiled clothes, the clothes that are marked with sin after sin, mistake after mistake. And what does Jesus do? He puts them on himself and he takes the clothes of sexual victims, the shame and the guilt-ridden clothes, and he puts them on himself and he takes dirty, filthy clothes of premarital sex, of pornography, and the addiction to it, of lust and of adultery, of secret sin. And what does Jesus do? He puts them on himself, and he carries them to the cross. And when he's on the cross, and he has them upon his shoulders, and his shoulders are stretched out across that piece of wood, what does he say to us? He says, I died for you. I died for your mistakes, for your sins. And I have rose again. And as he rises again, what does he do? He takes his sparkling white clothes and he comes and he washes us 
and then he clothes us in these clothes. You are in me now. You are spotless. Live your life to bring glory to me. That sin, that isn't you. That shame that you were carrying, I've dealt with it. That guilt, it is gone because you are forgiven. He says, child, you are wonderfully made new again. So Paul says to us, glorify God in our body. See, Jesus died and rose again to save us from our sin, to save your body and soul. That's why the resurrection is so important to us, because our bodies will one day rise again. They are redeemed and made perfect by Jesus. So what does it mean to follow Jesus when it comes to sex? I trust that we see here this evening that we are united to him, which means we live for him. And if we have messed up, we run to him, living to glorify our king, not our own, but his. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Let us bow in prayer here for a moment. In our silence, I want us to realize and to use this little moment to come before our God and our King and to claim forgiveness that we have in and through His Son. And if you are a Christian here this evening, that you know that you are united to Christ and therefore there is no condemnation for you, but you must come in repentance. And if you are not a Christian here this evening and you feel the burden of your sin, the weight of guilt upon you, run to Jesus. Run to him now. Father, we thank you that your arms are open wide and that you call us to come to you here this evening where there is forgiveness in Jesus' name. Father, help us to live for you with our bodies that we would honor you and that we would glorify you on this earth in our marriages, in our singleness, Help us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.